Hey, fantasy fans, it's your favorite dungeon manager here. Before we start this episode, we just want to let you know that we talk about some pretty heavy stuff in it that some listeners might find troubling or uncomfortable. So we wanted to let you know before you start the episode. Of course, we try to be sensitive in all of our discussions, but some of the stuff we're covering is kind of serious. So listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, have you heard about this Maleficent lady? I hear she is so evil you would not believe it. Well, I've heard rumors of rumors, but I haven't heard anything concrete about her. I just know that she's a bad lady. She's so bad, like terrible. She's some sort of bog person, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, something like that, but you guys won't believe the evil stuff she does. Like, did you hear that she didn't approve of Princess Aurora's wedding? Yeah, but I heard that that romance was poorly planned out and executed. Celebrity weddings can be sort of problematic, I hear. Yeah, okay, but then when she went to the castle, you won't believe what she did. She got so mad, and she, like, got all, like, charged up with her magic and everything. Right? Did she, like, lash out? Did she hurt anybody? No, she actually just kind of ended up leaving without doing anything, and then, like, I hear they shot her. Oh. Wow. (laughs) That sounds like a a strange plan that is poorly written. Defund the royal guards. (laughs) Okay, but then, you know Queen Ingrith, right? Maleficent turned her into a goat. Actually, that sounds like an improvement. I didn't vote for. You know... Hearing all this, I honestly don't think she seems so bad. Like, why do they call her the Mistress of Evil? Oh, because she dresses all in black. Oh, okay. Enough said. I get it. I just got chills all over my whole body. Dark fantasy fans, and welcome to Scares and Satire, the podcast where we turn spooky low fantasy into terrifying high art. I'm your haunting dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my goth co-hosts. Oh yeah. Nice. I am Chelsea Hollowell, an owl bear who just wants to flex and impress his friends. Hell yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. I'm impressed. I've got a beak, but claws as well, you know, and fur. This sounds like an evolutionary thing that would actually happen in reality. But also feathers. Totally. (laughs) Wow. Impressive. (laughs) (laughs) But me? Who am I? Who are you? Why are you in my castle? (laughs) Well, uh... You know, uh, myself, I'm Jack Olander, uh, a beautiful, dark and twisted fey creature, completely unique looking from any other member of my species, but still super hot. That's how evolution works, too. Yes. The reason you look so different is because of how pointy you are everywhere on your body. Yes. Mm. Yeah. You are somehow sharper in the face than even Maleficent. It's true. It's something I've noticed about you. 
I'm so sharp. If I fall, I'll just impale myself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Self-impalement. My wife is fear. <laughs> Do you remember Bladelings from D&D? I'm bladeling on my father's side. Well, that explains it. Just like the most dangerous species to uh, procreate with each other. What are they? Part demonic? No, they're natural. (laughs) I think they were astral. Weird. (laughs) But they were covered in spikes and not in convenient places. That's true. But Jamie... I think I've been hearing another voice amongst us. I, I've also been hearing another voice. I was going to say, we're not alone here today, everybody. Yeah. Oh, spooky for Halloween. Indeed. <laughs> yes. So maybe our guests would like to introduce themselves. Hello, it's Mickey Marin. I'm back to uh, flower fairy my way into the hearts of hopefully Juno Temple because she's so cute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm your favorite, you know. Dog nerd goth trainer. Yeah. Nice. That is an accurate statement. <laughs> well, thank you yep. for joining us again and for Love suggesting it. this movie. Hell yeah. And you know what? Also, thank you for being one of our patrons. It's worth supporting you guys. Yeah. And if you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash swords and satire. Take a look at our different membership levels. Get some exclusive episodes, some fun bonus content. I think there might be some ducks there. I don't know. There's at least one duck. Okay. Maybe more to come soon. Many more to come. (laughs) I know that there are many ducks kind of in a row. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) eventually... You gotta get them all in a row. They'll start marching through the feed. They're in production. Insidious. Crowing. Production? Yes. (laughs) You have no idea as a listener how many ducks are just waiting to come into your life. You had no way of knowing. But the only way you get to see those ducks is if you become a patron on Patreon. That's right. And you also would get to vote on the movies we watch every month, which is cool. That's definitely a big perk. I really enjoy that. <laughs> Yay! Yay! And, hey, if you're one of our top-tier patrons, you get to pick the movies we watch, like Mickey did this week, because we're going to be talking about Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. I honestly thought it was just called Maleficent 2, <laughs> and I was so confused. <laughs> when I saw this, I was like, wait, that's the first one, isn't it? I was confused uh, about the subtitle by the end of the movie, but we're going to be talking about that very soon here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the movie. Um, it is from 2019. The thing was that they knew they were going to do two when they did one, right? Oh, okay. It's the same, pre- the same writer... Um, uh, yes, which is interesting. And Angelina Jolie knew she would be tied to the second one as well. Mm. Apparently there's also a third one in production right now. Oh, fun. Exciting. Well, I mean, not sure where they're going to go from here. Yeah. I know. They... They did a lot. (laughs) So for listeners who don't know, this is an adaptation of a very obscure, little known story called Slipping Beauty, I think it is. (laughs) Sleeping Beauty. There you go. Um, This film in particular was directed by Joachim (laughs) Ruining. 
<laughs> didn't say it without laughing. So. Okay. Just start coughing. It'll be close. <laughs> Let's try that again. You know what? We <laughs> I'll let people look up the director themselves. This movie stars Angelina Jolie, Ellie Fanning, Sam Riley, and a cavalcade of other famous actors, including swords and satire, multiple repeating character actor, Michelle Pfeiffer. That's right. A la Lady Hawk and Stardust. Two of our favorite other movies we've covered? And Certainly Lady Hawk is. Jamie and I just watched The Witches of Eastwick, which has Michelle Pfeiffer in it also. And I was like, Michelle Pfeiffer has been in a lot of fantasy movies. I didn't yes, realize and it. I don't suggest anyone else watch The Witches of Eastwick, but that's another Dude, story. It was so different than I remembered it, and I was kind of surprised and it it was much weirder than i remembered that is a generous description but anyways that's not the witch we're interested in today the witch we're going to be talking about is maleficent that's right to the mistress of evil <laughs> but before we get into our big discussion about this wild dark fantasy film i believe chelsea has a concise and clean summary, ready to go. Yeah, that's what you call it. Okay, so uh, surprise, surprise, Maleficent is cast as the villain in this movie again. Is she? I'm still not sure what the uh, tonal direction is. It's some or the poorly character direction. written, <laughs> contrived, uh, you know, misunderstanding. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but she, just like my life, she's cast as the scapegoat. <laughs> sure. In this film, but for, ironically, she's not the one who ends up as a goat. For the machinations Spoilers. of the evil queen Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> playing herself. Yeah. Um. Aurora is now queen of the Fae Forest, or the Moors, as it's called. So, in an unearned romance, uh, Philip proposes to Aurora, and she says yes right away. Chelsea, (laughs) it's a fairy tale. (laughs) Even though she's a queen in her own right, like, how will that even work? I was not clear on that. She's like, I would be way marrying down. Yeah. Uh, but I guess you'll you'll sacrifice what you can for love, right? That's what I've been told. Um, it's so Aurora and Maleficent are invited to a royal dinner in Olstead, where Prince Philip lives with his parents. And as they're getting ready to go to the dinner, picking out their outfits, you know what everybody wants to see. Yeah, um, that's what I'm we here for. We see that Queen Ingrid, which is uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. She's plotting with Lickspittle, a.k.a. Willow. Warwick Davies. (laughs) Another beloved swords and satire icon. Fantasy Avenger gone bad? Dun, dun, dun. Not clickbait. Um, (laughs) Somehow, in an unexplained plot contrivance, Queen Ingrid has gotten a hold of the last spindle from Aurora's old kingdom. That she has abandoned and left to the peasants. Actually, she left it to the people to rule. So I guess mm-hmm. it's a communist uh, utopia. One of that <laughs> is the film that I want to see. Agreed. <laughs> I know. 
The implications of Aurora's old castle being, like, left to the commoners is wild, and I am here for it. Yeah? I know. That's, yeah, that is seriously the movie I wanted to see. I feel like we're going to be rewriting this one. Number three. Mm. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Maleficent, the darkest evil person ever. And it's, and it's about this communist utopia in uh, the castle, which honestly, I think Disney would make that with that title. So, that so yeah. yep. look at these villains working together in a worker-owned co-op. <laughs> <laughs> so, Queen Ingrid kind of manufactures uh, this loose rivalry with Maleficent, and she kind of, like, goes Maleficent into attacking people and uh, then paints her as the villain and seems like the king, King John, has been injured and Maleficent flees with Diaval. Aw, Diaval, you sweet raven prince. Then the queen's gender-neutral uh, hench person shoots Maleficent in the back as she's trying to fly away. Dick move. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Maleficent wakes up in her cave home <laughs> with the other dark fae like her. She's not the only one. She has been saved by Connell. That's right. The leader of the dark fae. I mean, I feel like they're more of a uh, democratically run yeah, dark fae like council. Yeah, board of directors yeah. kind of thing going on. Mm. Yeah, but he's kind of the one everybody looks to for advice. The he first among like equals. Elder, you know? So he's kind of like more like a headman than the yeah. leader. He saw her get injured on his midnight jog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know how it goes. You're flying around, just hanging out around the castle where everyone wants you dead and where you are um, hiding your identity because your race has almost been wiped out, wiped out by uh, these people. And you're just flying around and then you see uh, another hot dark fae flying around, get shot. You go save him. Yeah. yeah. Tale as old as time. In the neighborhood. Might as well. Yeah. So this is also where Maleficent meets Bora. He's kind of a hot-headed dark fae who wants to wage war against the humans that honestly want to wipe out all fae, so he's got a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A hot, dark god with a dark side. I mean, I feel like Bora's a little leathery. Yeah! Yes. He's got a craggy look. Yes. He's a scaly. Mm-hmm. But it seems he seems to be Maleficent's type. Oh, totally. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, the, yeah. yeah, she's they're, totally into leather. They're, Absolutely. They're making <laughs> yeah. and they're making eyes at each other the whole movie. If this were a different type of movie, they would have boned down for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if um, this were the movie we wanted it to be, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we want to know how this happens with Dark Fae. Um, like it must, eagles in I was the gonna sky. Say, yes. It's exactly like that. Oh they, my god! They do it while they're flying. I thought of them more like the Navi from Avatar, but mm. also mm. good. But they they're are. eagles, though. Yeah, they're yeah. Eagle people. You're right. You're not wrong. Uh, oh, she also gets to see the remains of the Phoenix, which is the progenitor of the Dark Fae in this cave. Yeah, it's really um, too bad that this kind of large community of people never reached out to Maleficent before now, but man, what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah, I was wondering that the entire time, but yep. we'll, get, we'll get into that. Connell is trying to convince Maleficent not to wage war against the humans, and I don't think she sees a way around it because she wants to protect the Fae from a ni- total annihilation. 
So it's totally understandable. So the uh, Queen Ingrid invites all of the Fae to join in on the royal wedding, which ends up to be just a trap for all the fairies. A classic fairy trap. What should have been a wedding day turns into a war zone against the fairies and the dark fae come in to try to defend all fae kind and they fight back against the humans. During this fight, Maleficent dies. Spoilers. Uh, (laughs) Ouch. But we remember in that moment that just before she left the cave home... um, I like cave home. Yeah. Connell was on his deathbed and she like absorbed his energy into her forehead. And <laughs> and also he was like, you're like a phoenix. Yes. <laughs> Which is very subtle imagery for you're going to die and be resurrected. Yeah, I was like, oh, she's coming back to life. And Jamie's like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, Maleficent! And Chelsea's like, they literally just did the phoenix thing. I was like, oh, yeah. And so she comes back as a giant black phoenix. Which is kind of awesome, and yep. it was great seeing Goth that Phoenix. look of fear on Queen Ingrid's face <laughs> as she looked at her. <laughs> Chelsea's favorite part of the movie, the terror in Michelle Pfeiffer's eyes. Well, it wiped that smug fucking look off of her face. Mm-hmm. Um, which, um, you know, Michelle did a really good job I'm with. really oh, happy yeah. you're bringing this up. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get to that later. <laughs> so basically, Giant Phoenix... Everybody's like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to keep fighting. This is some spooky shit. (laughs) (laughs) I really wish more movies had, like, spooky shit happen, and then the guards who were, like, previously, like, following the evil queen are like, nah, too spooky. I'm out of here. Peace. Queen Ingrid tries to escape, but she's cornered by the dark fae, and I was like, God, this is getting really fucking dark. Um, I mean, it was already really fucking dark with the church scene. We're going to talk about that later. But, Trigger warning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then we see her being carried out by vines later on. And then Maleficent turns her into a goat with a fancy collar. And um, I <laughs> Much nicer fate. Philip, uh, Prince Philip declares peace with the Moors. The king is restored to health and they do get their... Little wedding after all. <laughs> a fucking little wedding. Yeah. <laughs> On the battlefield, surrounded yeah. by corpses. Yep. yep. They are wed. Snake, do you believe that love can blossom even on the battlefield? And I'm still left with all these questions about the implications of this union mm-hmm. and if Aurora is still going to be the queen of the Moors or if she's going to forfeit that. I, I'm, I just don't understand what's going to happen. Dual citizenship. Mm. Easy peasy. Aurora's just going around ending monarchies. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, oh, man. Yeah, that's it. She's probably just going to bring that communist utopia stuff to the Moors. Holy shit. She's going to be like, that. John, fuck this. Taking them out <laughs> from the end. <laughs> he's just like, I can't argue with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's, what argument are you going to make? Come I on. mean, he did tell her he loves her for herself and he doesn't want her to change. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. I love it. We'll see if he holds up to that. <laughs> oh god i hope cross my fingers <laughs> well that's our summary so i think it's probably time to head into the delve mm-hmm. 
Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Now, I gotta start off with the question that's on my mind, that everyone knows is on my mind. Where does this movie fit into Kingdom Hearts? Where is Sora? I just finished playing Kingdom Hearts 1. I'm in the middle of Kingdom Hearts 2. Maleficent's real evil in those games. What, how does, how do I make my worldview work now with this movie? <laughs> I think Sora in this movie, since Maleficent is um, a hero and like a scapegoated villain type of character. I think Sora is the actual villain. Oh my god! He I comes can't believe you're saying out this. of the sky, Keyblade oh. trying to assassinate Maleficent, oh, and the Dark Fae have to rally around her to fight yeah. against this like demigod who's just trying to murder all the Fae. Chelsea, this is some controversial shit you're saying, and we're going to be getting a lot of angry emails. I'm sure. <laughs> Trigger warning for Kingdom Hearts fans. <laughs> I fucking dare people. <laughs> oh god, I do not like where this is going at all. Maleficent 3 is sounding hype. Cosmos <laughs> Utopia fighting back against the Disney patriarchy. And what, wow, Sora's yes. just about to be released in Smash? Hmm. Coincidence? I, I think not. But anyways, let's talk about what we have in the movie. I love it. Um, so my major, probably three major sticky points. Okay. Feels, Let's stick to them. Yeah. Uh, one is the, you know, contrived Disney engagement stuff that, uh... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I know, no, it happens in all of their sequels. So I was talking with Jack earlier, Frozen 2, Tangled Ever After, Tangled 2, whatever you want to call that. Untangled. Uh, yeah. One, I would really wish they did call it that. I mean, Jack suggested that. I was like, ooh, yes. Like that child's great. hair. Untangled. It writes itself. It really <laughs> does. Um, yeah. Maximus is the ring bearer, which oh. I know, right? So once again, dogs are not horses. Okay. A little bit different. I, I don't understand. No, I know. Disney You're going to have to either. explain this to me. But yeah, so horses the, are people. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. They, they are certainly sentient, so yeah. yeah you're not they young. understand human speech. <laughs> they sure do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, contrived engagement. Don't love it. Think it's ridiculous. I don't know why you sequels have to be, like, housed around marriage, because marriage is just kind of bullshit. It's infused with the patriarchy. Agreed. We're going to get into this. Oh, yes. I feel like this is probably the only Disney sequel I've ever seen. Oh, interesting. You're right. so I've lucky. Seen several. <laughs> You're so lucky. No, good, good job. I mean, you know, I, that this is like not counting like the MCU, obviously, which is oh, I, I'm talking different. about like core Disney. I've never seen no. like Aladdin two was a thing. Oh, Lion King. Yeah, I haven't oh, seen those yes. two point five. You're damaging or, us. Jamie. You're <laughs> I'm, damaging. I'm not trying to deal psychic damage I've anymore. Seen all three Aladdin movies. I yeah. hope there's only three. Move on. Oh no, we know. And the first one has its own contrived marriage BS because yeah. of how they do this whole thing with Jasmine right. and Aladdin, and it's just and it's non-consensual. It's based it on is a lie. Really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, ugly. Um, the other... Uh, also, there's four Aladdin movies. You're forgetting the Will wow. Smith one. Oh, good point. That's actually <laughs> I've seen remakes. I've seen Disney remakes, but I don't think I've ever seen a sequel. I have That's hope. Great. I have hope. I love it. Yeah, no, don't bother. I mean, although Frozen 2 is fantastic. I, I'm endorsing Absolutely Frozen 2. Absolutely, like, wow, fantastic. Well, if I ever see Frozen 1... Yeah, no, watch them both. They're really good. 
you know, helps if you have We're kids. We're going you have to no watch choices. them for the show at some point. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, it's worth doing. It's going to, oh, man. But which one will we watch no, first? Let my kid on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Let's start with that two. Would that would be very yeah. Then I'll be really confused, like, when I saw Prisoner of Azkaban first of oh. all the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, magic of the thing? Okay, I get that part. The rest of this, I have no fucking clue what's going That's on. Great. Mm. It's also so dark. You can't even tell what's going on. So what's your, you know... Very true. Yeah. It's an audio... It's yeah, an audio, it's an audio drama. movie. You're not Um, okay. So it's like Ponty Fool. dark... Ooh! Um, hey! So... <laughs> By dark and like so, they introduce the dark fay. Yes, which they this is how they bring in the diversity, right? So between 2014 and 2019, there was some awakening going on, <laughs> much that, to the chagrin of certain corners of the internet. Yeah, sorry guys. Um, so they really just really went for it with the diversity, um, especially with respect to the dark fay cultures, and yeah. it was all like massively cliche like yes. the Amazonian dark fae yeah. the desert dark fae the Asiatic dark fae mm-hmm. it was really okay great you know cool 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 you, you did it the <laughs> <laughs> But they Good also job, just Disney. kind of brush by all of it. It's like, they look, do. they are there. I mean, they're literally background panic. We that checked is exactly right. We checked that box. Yes. No, they very much <laughs> checked the box. The other thing is like, who are the black main characters? Okay, so you've got Prince Philip's like head of the guards dude who's actually Lancelot. Like, who's got like the sort of dual loyalty. He's kind oh, no, of sorry, loyal personal. to the queen. And also kind of loyal to Philip. It's complicated, but he's kind of like good guy, bad guy, because he hates the Fae because of his internalized prejudices, thanks to the yeah. Queen. Right, and yeah. so you've got this weird feeling. It's like he's you want him to be on, you know, our side, but right. he's kind of on the other side and being kind of shitty. And but he then, also doesn't want to hurt Philip. No. Right. He's got these conflicted yes, feelings. Yes, he's really conflicted. And it's got that feeling of like, are you a bad guy or not? And if so, why do you have to have a different colored skin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's awkward, guys. Hey. But then again, the um, Connell is like, um, yeah. played by an African-American actor. Nope. Right. He's and, British. Oh, uh, uh, is he British? <laughs> British. Yeah, that. I, okay, a person of color. Yeah, so. Yeah, so language Connell, is that's true. <laughs> Language is so, so. It's my favorite. Um, so, yeah, so he is also played by a black actor, and his whole thing is peace. Yeah. Yes. And that is interesting. Um, he sacrifices himself for Maleficent when they are desecrating the graveyard of the fairy people. That part was fucked oh, up. You, I, I cannot yes. with what they did there. Wow. And so they ambushed them. He, you know, took like four or five bullets for her. Yeah, he boromeared. It was yeah. really rough, man. And then he, you know, his death ceremony where they're infusing the ground with the orange magic, which is different <laughs> than Maleficent's green That's right. magic. Yeah. Evil Car- magic. Different. <laughs> Um, so magic. Where the hell does Maleficent's green magic even come from then? Um, like, like, what is she? So she's dark fae, but also is she part human? Is she part fairy? It's unexplained why she has different abilities from all the other dark fae, and they point yes. it out, though. Yeah. She has the phoenix blood. Oh, okay, but also the phoenix is, like, all done in fiery orange, and Connell gives her the orange magic. Right. Right. So... 
I, I found that really wild. So she comes back with this hybrid green orange magic, which is just uh, inexplainable. It's just inexplainable. Beyond powerful. Right. Like, so you're super, super powerful. This is amazing. And um, yeah, so like you're and then there's one other black actor who was kind of in a position of power when Aurora is busy being super fucking bored in the castle. There's <laughs> one other black person at the ladies table. And I'm just like, I didn't notice it before, but I noticed it on this watch. Through, and oh, I, was like, I oh, didn't shit. notice it. Like she says like three words and I'm just oh. kind of like, thank you for oh, having right. black people talk in this movie. Disney. Way to go. You want to count those sentences <laughs> up? It's like 10 sentences. So yeah. good job. I would have liked to have seen, like, some backstory instead of just having it explained for us. Agreed. Like, yeah. with, even with Queen Ingrid, too. Oh, yeah. She just explains what happens to her yep. brother. It's like, all those scenes where you luxuriate on people getting dressed, couldn't you have used that time? Or, yeah, the- like, No, no, the, we need those dressing scenes. <laughs> or the numerous times they went through and cranked the neck of the fucking mannequin and went oh, through the yeah. stupid gate and saw the forges and shit. It's like, how much fucking time do we have to spend walking through the bowels of the castle, you guys? Yeah. Do we really need this again? Well, another movie that emphasized crawling through bowels. That's a good yeah, point. See, Just like uh, Coraline. Do we need to do it again? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I just need to take a moment to appreciate what you said just now. <laughs> just linger on that for a moment. <clears throat> but also, crawling through the bowels was also something they did a lot in the first movie. When it came to the forges, when he was like, Make more iron for the castle. Yes. And then they just forged, what, a ton of swords and glued yeah. them all over the castle? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I actually did watch that part of the movie because I was like, wait, Prince Philip, that's not the same guy. And I wanted to just double check my yeah. shit. And like Maleficent's like just doing the limbo through that shit. And <laughs> it really fucking didn't work, Stefan. Okay? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's consistent. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking about that again, though, and like thinking about Maleficent in that movie and this movie and like thinking mm -hmm. about her journey she's gone through. And it's like she was just chilling in the moors. The humans keep living her best life, trying to come in to take what they have. The humans keep thinking that the creatures in the moors have all these resources that they're not sharing and that they're just letting the humans die off. It's the typical colonizer mentality. Mm -hmm. It really reminds me of... Look at these people just wasting all those resources. Uh, excuse me? It really reminds me of the history of this land with the European colonizers coming in and needing help from the indigenous peoples here to get through the winters and shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, they absolutely to just fucking died. And then the I know, and then oh. they get that help, and then they're like, "Cool, thanks. Now we're gonna take all of your stuff and kill you." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thanks. That's that was great. Mm. And yeah, I feel like it's the same exact mentality with the humans to the Fae in in this setting. I think mean, it's similar. There's also more of an isolationist thing though, where they don't even interact for the most part. Like. The way that the humans describe their animosity towards the Fae is like, we were looking at them living a good life and we hated them. It's like, uh, that seems like a lot of your own problem. <laughs> Seriously. And they, they also don't understand the biological differences between Fae and humans because it's not like the Fae are growing crops. They're fucking plants. They yeah. use the fucking sun. Okay. Like, this guy's a fucking tree. Yeah. <laughs> you they can't mesh crops. similar worldviews. 
<laughs> yes. It's like the natural world in this setting is infused with magic and human civilization, human settlements, they've kind of, by blighting the land or manipulating the landscape, they've taken away the magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, humans don't have any, like, spell casting magic. They have the magic of true love, we know. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> but um, it's like by exploiting the resources rather than living uh, in symbiosis with your landscape, you are taking away the magic that exists inherently in nature. And so it's like humans are kind of creating the situation that it causes their own suffering. So, you know, relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly relatable. Yeah. I mean, you know, related to uh, how the colonizers treated the native people of this land, we can get into some of the more genocidal aspects of the movie. Right. And uh, Let's just do it. Let's just let's just do this we whole thing. We gotta rip this band-aid off. <sighs> Seriously. Jump into the pool. Who doesn't love just, a Holocaust band-aid. Um Jump into the gene pool because oh this movie has some horrifying eugenicist and genocidal implications. Implications and content. It's really rough. So, so trigger warning. Yeah. So <laughs> as okay, so yeah, as a child of Holocaust survivors. <laughs> Like, yes. My dad is a my dad is the child of Holocaust survivors. I'm the grandchild of, you know, Holocaust right. survivors. Okay. So that is basically my life. Um yeah. my dad mm. saw Finding Nemo with us and was like, It's a Holocaust movie. Look, the Barracuda's coming, it's like the Gestapo and did it. Oh my god. Oh wow. yeah. That like, was a thinly veiled metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> we should oh, have your dad on the show with us to talk Absolutely. about some movies. <laughs> No, fortunately for you, I'm here. So, uh, yeah, so this stuff has been on my mind since my dad got some new Holocaust-related information told to him, and it, it's it's fascinating stuff, like, in our yeah. family history. Uh, but if you watch a bunch of fairy people uh, getting shuttled into a building where they will be gassed by mm-hmm. absolutely deadly death dust um yeah. that is mixed with the the grave flowers yeah. plus iron dust which i'm gonna tell you makes no fucking sense yeah. <laughs> at all it's magic <laughs> why does it work death uh, mixed work? with <laughs> super death right like super death dust i mean it's like yeah if it's like if somebody made a bomb out of like the bones of your yeah, yeah. With, and also, yeah. And also included some sarin for gas. Super. Yeah. Um, yeah, just real quick tangent. I don't want to take away from your point, Mickey, but just yeah. that we are talking about the grave uh, desecration again. And again, yes. this reminds me of what is still going on oh, in absolutely. this country. Yeah. With the uh, shell mounds and yeah. everything. Oh, man. The and, mass graves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and um, also just historical sites of indigenous peoples and their sacred spaces like graveyards or other sacred spaces are constantly under threat or even just destroyed so that we can build malls or another corporate building. Yeah, or another fucking parking lot. Yeah. And we also deny native peoples the rights to their ancestors, to like to have choices about what happens to their ancestors' remains after the fact. So that's also really bad. Luckily, a law was just passed in California 
that legitimizes in- indigenous people's histories and stories as evidence of their right to claim their artifacts and ancestral remains. Before it was only the scant few like written historical texts, but now mm. oral histories are also uh, included in the possible evidence in California, at least. Hopefully, that'll um, inspire other states to do the same. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, everyone loves California so much, uh, mm. but we are often the state that passes laws that fuels those laws being passed in other states. Mm-hmm. Right, setting precedents and being the pioneers. <clears throat> this, I mean, it is. It's an avant-garde kind of a space, California. Yeah. Anyway, back to the yeah. church. No, yeah. So, I, as as they're going into the church, there's also this really troubling, but I think believable thing going on in the background where the humans are like, oh, why do they get the special treatment? Why do these others get to go in when we, yep. good humans, don't get? And it's this this haunting echo so of, of real-world racism. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it reminded me of, you know, Holocaust images and movies like Schindler's yeah. List. Like, it just really reminded me of, of that a lot. Not your go-to kids movie. Not so much, oddly. <laughs> Schindler's List. Yeah, yeah. I thought. Although I did actually watch that, like right when it came out, so I was a kid. Um, Yay! I mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> super cool. Um, what I read my first Holocaust book when I was like ten. Oh like I've God. been hearing about it since a very super young age. So. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot. Makes um, sense. Yeah. So watching, like, I think watching it. I was just choked up and yeah. really had to remember to breathe. It was really difficult um, watching the the ant like being sacrifice themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, I was, um, was I was difficult. crying basically oh, yeah. when no, that happened. That was so the hard. trees. Yeah. They were and the best. They were so beautiful. Leaf. And then, um, Leaf. Yeah. It, and Leaf the and tree, then, man. Um, when the Blue fairy Flittle. Um, Flittle, yeah. Aww. When she goes and sacrifices herself. I mean, like, at least she had the fortitude and the mental strength to do that, but it reminded me of all of the stories where our elders sacrificed themselves so that children would make it out, so that like yeah. there are stories, stories upon stories of mothers like holding right. their young children in firing squads at mass graves so that maybe their baby wouldn't get hit and would make it out. There are stories of kids who survived like that um, and like made it out. You know, Um, I didn't know about that. I don't know much about Holocaust stories because it's so painful, you know, and it's like, I guess that's a privileged position of mine. (laughs) Yeah. But um, it's, I'm glad that you can be here to share that. And Mm. um, it's so tragic to, hear about that happening and like people being in that situation i have this big savior complex i wish i could just go back and save all those people you know yeah yeah and that's what i think of when i hear that kind of mm. thing and i know i would love to go back maybe and it save sounds all those babies. Yeah. oh man maybe it sounds kind of naive but it's just the way my brain works mm-hmm. and like but um i want to remind listeners at this moment at this low moment a Disney movie has brought us here. Yeah. 
Yes. Serious. Also, Disney moms could take a note from that example Mm. you just gave. Not a very Disney moment there. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to also say, like, the first movie has this theme of sacrifice and love kind of intertwined Mm. as well. And you're giving me a new perspective on that because I remember in our first discussion of the first movie, I was critical of that theme. I was... My making the point that I don't like in like not just Disney movies, but other media as well. Love and sacrifice often go hand in hand. And I just don't always think I think that is taken to the extent that it's kind of toxic mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, oh, if you love somebody, you're going to sacrifice everything for them. And I just don't think that's healthy. Yeah, no, that selflessness where you obliterate your own self. Right. Agreed. Oh, shit. You yeah. should be able to have your own identity and autonomy and not sacrifice everything for your loved one. It's kind of like Aurora, mm-hmm. what I've been talking about. Like, she has her own realm. She's a queen in her own right. And then she's marrying Philip. She's just going to live in the castle with him. Is she giving up everything? Yeah. Speaking of, like, triggering as a mother, watching Maleficent get hatched horribly triggered by Ingrith's claiming Aurora as a daughter. That yeah. Oh, she yeah. Was, that's why she got up and was like, oh, hell right. no. Yeah. That's yeah. why she was upset because she was basically having her daughter stolen from her. Well, it's also that brings me back again to the indigenous people's experience yes. here where their children were taken away. It's like, oh, you're light-skinned. You can pass. Right. Or also right. aboriginal oh, peoples in yep. Australia. Oh, it's like, yes. Oh, we're going to take you and put you in this boarding school and try to force you to be white. You can't Mm -hmm. speak your language anymore. We'll Mm -hmm. beat you if you do. And it's like, it's the same thing with Queen Ingrid. She's trying to claim Aurora and like basically reincorporate her into the human society Mm -hmm. and basically undo her identity as the queen of the Moors. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, that that aspect and that storyline is actually kind of what I wish the movie had focused on a bit more rather than kind of spreading it out to be like the like mother daughter relationship between Maleficent and Aurora but also we're gonna go meet Maleficent's people and find out who the Dark Fae is because everything Disney now has me an origin story. It's like, no, like I want to see more of their mother-daughter relationship. I want to see more of Maleficent, like, coping with this. Because most of the movie, they spend separate. Aurora and Maleficent. And it kind of makes it feel like they set up this really interesting plot at the beginning, and then we go in a completely different direction that, like, by the end, I was like, oh, right, there was these scenes where, like, Maleficent was really upset about Ingrid claiming Aurora as as her own child and stuff, and, like, these feelings and then that all seems to get thrown out the window because now she gets shot out of the sky now she's meeting the other dark fae and that becomes the big plot point and the big end game of the movie right and i mean it's not like ingrith doesn't want to kill the hell out of all those guys sure i mean she floods the sky with pink death dust and oh god i hate pink death i know it's so bad me off super gross and it just like evaporates them out of the air yeah it's horrifying and it's oh god it's so horrifying the imagery of the fairy deaths is also like haunting where they become like plants they become yeah they become the plants that they are alive from right every time it happened i felt like i was dying oh god yes it was just oh yeah it was very traumatic to watch every time i was like no no Oh my god, when Lick Swiddle had that little, like, 
uh, Daisy fairy, oh, and the, he the dandel, the poofy dandelion. The little oh, dandelion God, guy. Yes. I was like, no, stop. <laughs> No. That was that, horrible. That scene is really strange, the way it's coded. Yes. Th- because there are three little fey creatures in jars. Lick spittle or poop dribble or whatever. <laughs> he has to select one of them to execute in front of the queen, right? With this new de- super death powder. Right. And two of them are named characters. Well, yes. they're... No, there's Pinto were, and there's the mushroom child who we see get kidnapped in the beginning of the movie. Two yeah. we are familiar with. And right. the music is tense. Like, oh, someone's gonna die. <laughs> and we're yeah, like, wait, well, we know. Real quick, Pinto is like a hedgehog fairy or something. He's so cute. Yeah. Yep. Baby guys, Sonic. You can have him. I don't want him. Jack was haunted by Pinto's existence. I, I was throughout the entire so film. I love the chirruping way Pinto communicated. Yep. But oh, that was oh, yes. cute. No, when he says... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he was kind of cute. Or she? I don't know. They. they. Well, anyway, there are these three little fey. One of them's going to die. Two of them we're familiar with, and the music is tense, and then Lick Spittle reaches for the one we aren't familiar with, and the music is like, well, I guess that's okay. Well, also, we see see Pinto, like, ducking, and then, of course, Lick Spittle pulls out the daisy person. Yeah, and then... Or dandelion. And then executes the daisy person, and we're just like, oh, yeah, that's pretty bad. But it wasn't one of those two. But it wasn't one of the two that we've established emotional bonds with. No, it was really like, Mickey's gonna barf bad. (laughs) That's how bad it was. You know, that that kind of brings me back to my point about the human aspect of the movie that gets blown up into this big war. It's like, we've built these emotional bonds with for, you know, as much as Jack hated Pinto and like the little mushroom child, like we felt for them. And then, no, they, they show this horrible death of this unnamed, unknown character. Yeah, that's very Disney of them. Just like they set up this human relatable story of like, oh, this mother having her child taken away and then it becomes a war. And it feels so disconnected mm-hmm. between like where it starts and where it ends yeah. that it really takes me personally out of the more human aspects and the, the emotional aspects of it that I thought were much stronger in the first movie where it was, it was a lot more about, there was a war scene in that one, of course, but it wasn't like the culminating moment of the film that was like the third act finale. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and this movie like brings it up to this like huge scale where we're just seeing literally death. Like, oh, yeah. countless murders no, taking place on a battlefield. Just horrifying. And, like, we, at that point, I'd completely forgotten that this started out with a, re- uh, about a relationship between a mother and daughter, like, still dealing with their complex relationship because of how they came together in the first place. It did make it very disjointed, the mm-hmm. storytelling. Yeah. It's like, either this is a war movie, or it's a coming of age, or a life stage <laughs> movie. Like, which one is it? I mean, it could be. I mean, a war movie can be a coming of age movie, but it just, it, it jumps so hard. I don't think they earned it. <laughs> and, like, we only get, like, why it's happening from Ingrid giving expositional dialogue, where she's like, oh, I set up Maleficent. I spread all these rumors. It's like, well, you're just telling us that, though. Yeah, way to call yourself out as a complete man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this movie is over two hours long. They could have, in the intro somewhere, instead of just explaining that Maleficent was the villain again, 
showing it happening like through rumors going around like that would have been so much more yeah. interesting mm-hmm. our intro bit to this episode does a better job of establishing <laughs> her backstory than the movie does the, the backstory about Ingrith spreading rumors Seriously, about Maleficent we could, they could have started with Ingrith and her brother starving all I'm saying is I know we criticize Disney a lot on the show if you want us to write your next movie, we will do it. We will sell out in a heartbeat. Yeah, Disney, you got it. the money. Give yeah. it up. Yeah. <laughs> Let us exactly. help you. This yeah. is for you. We literally rewrite scripts for a living. Right? I have a degree in creative writing, Disney. A good degree. It's a degree. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm impressed. It. You're hired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But back to the Holocaust. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Words that have never been said in I feel like the history of humankind. Finish oh, um, yeah. Like once again, hard to breathe seeing the yeah. launching of the exploding gas bombs in mm-hmm. the sky and the, yeah. the vaporization of Troubling the dark imagery. Fae. That was hard to watch. The fact that they turned into piles of ashes was really rough on yeah yes that actually tormented me but not for the reason of its amorality Mm -hmm. but okay let's just set the scene for the viewers (laughs) let's let them relive it yeah good times the kingdom is a set or this city is essentially square shaped right Mm -hmm. yeah the moors are facing one direction which is where their enemy lives they bring in a number of the fairy folk to kill and then are expecting retaliation from, let's say, the left. The dark fae... Interesting terminology. Well, from the ocean or the sea. No, from the moors. They're not expecting the dark fae. No, they right, they don't know That's the dark fae exist. They That's don't true. know the dark fae exist. They know there's one other besides Maleficent. They should be right. expecting an attack from three sides because they're a square. Three of their the sides of their city are surrounded by the moors, and then one side faces the the sea. This is basic medieval city logic. And it's I all need- logical and laid out perfectly, right? <laughs> and I need you as a listener to understand one of the sides is facing the ocean. Yes. The Fae don't have boats. Nope. They don't know about the Dark Fae. Nope. The Dark Fae army shows up as a surprise attack from the ocean, and they say, all according to plan. I hate it. And they have all of the, like, catapults full of the super death powder facing the ocean (laughs) already. And they have these kites that have the death powder prepared around that side of the walls, which they released to catch the Dark Fae. Uh, like, it was perfectly strategized for this specific yes. aerial attack. That they could not have possibly known was coming, because again, they had no idea that any other Dark Fate even existed. When- this is untrue. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> so, I didn't catch their name, but the... Oh, Gerda? The Gerda? hench person? Yeah, yeah, okay, the gender-neutral hench person. Gerda. When they were looking through the microscope... I'm not microscope. Telescope. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite of that. Yes. When they were looking through the telescope. The macroscope. Uh, to see. <laughs> also possible. I was thinking yes. it. <laughs> uh, to see what was happening to Maleficent, they saw Maleficent fall into the sea 
And then another dark fate come and save her. That's right. And yeah, there's then two. They <laughs> reported that to the queen, mm-hmm. Queen Ingrid. Yeah. So they could have suspected there would be more if there's another one like Maleficent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it's a big stretch to think that there would be that many. No, because there were thousands. Yeah. yeah. The only absolutely. other conclusion I can draw. Is that they were worried that this thing would be, like, equal power level to Maleficent. Right. And that two Maleficents were going to come, and all of that was just for those two. Mm-hmm. And I could believe that. Yeah, because Maleficent came the fuck back and was, like, blowing that shit up. Yeah. And she was, like, easily dodging all of it mm-hmm. just by herself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, she did blow up, a, like, almost the whole army just by herself, so it's... It's feasible that it could have all been for two. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess, but I'm with Jack. It kind of it kind of took me out of it that it was like it was it was an all according to plan, like Joker in the Dark Knight. Like <laughs> I knew exactly what time these people were going to be it's, at the very place I needed them it's to the be. The omniscient villain, which we hate. Yes, <laughs> I can't stand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If right before the final fight we saw Ingram just putting on Joker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk about Queen Ingrid because she makes an interesting villain. She's basically an (laughs) anti-SJW villain, which I found to be pretty hilarious. She's talking about how we don't need all this PC fairy bullshit with getting along. I don't care about any of that. This is war. And she's like pieces for the weaklings. (laughs) And you know what? Let's just remember she's the villain of this story. (laughs) Absolutely. But Chelsea, she's wearing white. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. And Metaphorically, she is this white. is all. And Maleficent is wearing black. I don't know how to point out that Maleficent's the villain However, here. However, <laughs> Maleficent is a lot paler. So, True. Uh, yeah. True. I noted it. Um, I rewatched. And she is the sharp. She's, She's very sharp. sharp. Um, but yeah, when in a, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh man, like Maleficent and Diaval are really fucking pale. Aurora also really, really pale. I mean, the Moors don't get a lot of sun. No, but they not. also get all the sun. And so like, I don't like, know. Like, John, Philip, and Ingrid, they all look a little bit fake tan. You know, like yeah, yeah a little bronze. Yeah, a little bronze. Little yeah. you know, like, bronze. A little bit. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> little Jersey Shore. You're saying? Well, no, Christian. Well, no, oh yeah, either way. No, I know that you meant Orange County, but like similar. (laughs) Yeah. Very orangey, it's true. Yeah. Quickly touching on Maleficent's color palette. Yeah. We saw at the beginning of the first film, she had a brown dress and brown feathers. With some green luminescence. Very pretty. Very pretty. Absolutely. Yeah. I like um, like nature fey Maleficent garb as much as I like goth queen. Mm -hmm. But through her trauma... Mm-hmm. She gets goth. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the first film, she overcomes it. We start the second film. She's back to her natural brown brown again. Yeah, and yeah. she has um, a green headdress and green oh. outfit, like the green collar. Yeah. I thought that was gorgeous. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, totally. She's back to this neutral, more natural palette. Mm-hmm. Gets... Pissed off again in this movie. Yep. Goes goth again. Yep. Yes. But With also the bird skulls. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, the bird cool. skulls. Those were amazing. I was like, Holy I shit. want that so bad. So cool. Real quick though, black is also her formal wear. It's yes. true. Yes. yes, that is true. Yeah. But I think I know where Jack's going with this. Well, 
this is sort of like a coming of age for Maleficent origin mm. story sort of thing. And at the end, when she's like, I know who I am. I am Phoenix. Goth Phoenix. Black yes. Phoenix. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then afterwards, she gets this sick-ass new dress. She gets an even blacker dress. It's true. It is darker. It is like <laughs> it is. satin or velvet black. So... At the when she becomes fulfilled at the end of the first one, she goes back to the natural coloration. Yeah. yeah. And then when she becomes fulfilled at the end of this one, she doubles on the darkness. Yeah. I just was interested by oh, that. Yeah. yeah. The, that the, was... the costume changes for her were really skillfully done, I think. Yeah. 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 When she was rescued by the dark fae, she goes to like a natural white wrap and you see her hair again for the first yeah. time since she, she was a youngin'. She's got the sexy hospital dress oh my God, on. Right? It's like, and I'm just like, I like, really, I had a moment of like queer me, just like boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like analytical, and this movie yep. is triggering me with, with uh, dark family memories, but also boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, because um, yeah, the hospital bandage chic, fucking excellent. Yeah, and then when she comes great. back with her green plus orange magic, and she's got what essentially amounts to body paint. Yeah. Yes. Right. Dark, yes. like you know, Vanta black. That's yeah. right. Body it's, paint. it's paint on latex. It's excellent. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and then she's got her you know wedding dress, which is kind of like like bodysuit. Yeah. Lace and then black, also pretty cool. But she does the she wraps her hair back up. I was a little bummed out about that. I think the hair's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah I like yeah. the hair. Yeah. Real, yeah. The hair around the horns and the ears. It looks so cool. I mean, the headdress does you know evoke the classic. Yeah, Sleeping yeah. Beauty Maleficent. So it's cool. It's cool looking, but it should be more of like a war garb, right? Like keeping her hair out of yeah. range of being pulled or stepped on. Or something yeah. What just disappears under the headdress magically yeah, whenever she's wearing it. Yep. Her long hair just completely disappears under it. Interesting fact. Mm. That is also how the makeup artists get her hair under there. It's magic. Mm. Oh. Otherwise, it would be impossible. Yes. <laughs> I believe it. Yes. I think she does go through like six different outfits throughout this I, I am here for every one of them. They're, They're so excellent. cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I was I was kind of dissing on it before, but it, that's actually one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> the bird skull one wins just everything. Oh, hands and to hands. wear that to uh, the like big formal in law. Yeah. Oh, I want to talk about that scene. I I thought again, like this is where the human aspect and the emotional connection, relational aspects of the movie really work for me mm-hmm. when they are walking to the castle. Maleficent is in the middle of Diaval and Aurora. She's creating a bridge of vines and she's got her gigantic wings and she wraps both Aurora and Diaval in the wings to like in a protective Mm -hmm. uh, moment. I love that. And then again, the rest of the movie is basically all three of them not together Mm -hmm. and we're not getting any of these great character relationships. So, Maleficent is protective of all the Fae, but Aurora and Diaval, even though Diaval's kind of like her uh, handmaid. Um, Comic sidekick, but also beloved friend. Yes. Indeed. I was going to say, they're both her family. Yes. Yeah. And so she's even more protective of them. Oh, yeah. And when she comes back, she's like, I missed you. 
you know. Yeah. yeah. Which is so cute. It is. And um And she made him into a bear. That's a nice <laughs> like moment of showing and not telling mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how she feels about them with the wrapping of the wings. Yeah. And it's like I wish they had just taken that and used it in other areas of the movie as mm-hmm. well. But exactly. I don't want to detract yeah. from that moment because that oh, is yeah. a nice moment. The other, like, when, the moment that follows that that has a similar sort of uh, feel to it is when they're in the dinner and, like, the sensory bit of the dead bird. Yes. Squishy, oh, no. terrible noises. And they put, yes. and she's like, bird to Diavala. And yeah. he's just like, he's like, you know, yeah. and both bird people. Basically. I know. And I <laughs> My just, goose like, is cooked. I know. And like Ingrid does not hold any bars on oh, no. how much she insults them. Yeah. Iron tableware. Yeah. And then wow. she says, oh, I'm sure you were fine eating with your hands. Yes. Yeah. The, the humiliation. I, I thought that was a good detail to oh, really establish. Like, so I want to kill you and I think you're barbarians is what she's saying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm gonna take you, filthy non-meat eating, right? Hippie scum. Again, Ingrid is an anti-SJW character, and not that I think that eating with your hands is barbaric. I'm just talking from Queen Ingrid's point of view here. I do want to point out. So he doesn't get a lot of character development in the movie, but I did kind of like Prince Philip. I usually don't like the love interest in these movies. They're usually vapid and one-dimensional. He's kind of great. And then the dinner scene when, like, his mom is saying all this shitty stuff, it's super relatable because he's like, oh, uh, you know, I could sure go for another goblet of wine right now. Like, he's trying to (laughs) smooth everything over (laughs) as his girlfriend is meeting his family, and his family's making a huge fucking ass of themselves. And I'm like, this is the most relatable part of the whole movie. I know, I really (laughs) felt for him there. He kept trying to make it okay and, like, just be like, so guys, you want to tone it down a little bit? (laughs) He's like, I could sure, uh, you know, bleed another cup of ale if you know what I mean (laughs) his whole so it's been really warm (laughs) yeah he's literally talking about the weather yeah he was so desperate I yeah Philip was pretty fun I almost wanted more of him which I usually Mm -hmm, do not mm -hmm. say about the one dimensional love interest in these movies Philip and John cracked me up at numerous different points one of them is like when John wakes up and he's like hey fairy flower friend like when the flower yes, yes. I'm just like I'm like you're my favorite right now yeah. <laughs> like, it's not like anybody comes to get him he's just like yeah. he gets up he fucking gets out of there he's like yeah. yeah it's a fairy Boom. Like, I guess I'm okay now <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 Philip and John were both very pleasant they folks. were but the thing is I can't I believe was... I'm celebrating royalty <laughs> yeah well if it works sure <laughs> but the thing is early on we see a handful of rulers, of royalty mm-hmm. figures, and Aurora is sort of at the center of it, right? Yes. She's the one, everyone is questioning what move she's going to make coming forward, and everyone is sort of analyzing what her role is going to be between these two kingdoms. John and Philip are the two masculine characters out of these royalty figures, and they are both... Portrayed as very kind, yes. gentle, the peacemakers, mm-hmm. the leader of the Dark Fae is also... Connell. Connell is also shown in this way. He's their leader, gentle, 
kind sort of figure. Doesn't want to go to war. Doesn't want to go to war. They all want peace. They're all gentle, peaceful men, friendly. But Maleficent and Ingrith are coded as very aggressive, Mm. warlike, warlike people. And I I was just a little troubled early on because Mm -hmm. at least for the first maybe half of the film, it was men good, women angry. (laughs) I know. And powerful women are dangerous. Again, we're getting this again. We're not done with this one, apparently. Yeah, I, it gets. I mean, it it gets thrown a little bit with um, Bora also being, you know, ready for war. Yeah, that's and true. Like Percival having this complex thing where he's the head of the guard and and yeah. loyal to Ingrith and the Philip and and Aurora wants peace. Yeah, and Aurora wants peace. That's but true. Th- it's an interesting juxtaposition. I but don't the message even... is there. I just want to h- point out sure. for a second to Jack, like that message is definitely it's there. It's definitely mm-hmm. there. Good, good point. Really yeah, good yeah. point. I Absolutely. think that the intention might have been more of a subtle inversion, or maybe I'm just giving them too much credit. I, I think that it was supposed to be like Seven. thematically <laughs> just like a-, a flip of what we normally get. Yeah. But yeah, it can read kind of troubling. I suppose it's a flip of the first movie. But yeah, I was troubled by, I guess, when it came to diversity, it was a little sketchy, and when it came to gender representation, it was a little sketchy. Just a tinge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, patriarchal junk. Yeah. Well, the themes of feminism and feminine power and stuff really get muddied in the sequel. Mm. Yeah. Mm. They were much more pronounced in the first movie. It was very much about you know, it was about fairies and humans, but really it was a kind of about like male and female differences and, and, and feminine power. And positive female relationships. Yeah. The, mm. you, you basically, the whole first movie emphasizes that Maleficent builds a bond with Aurora, the fairy godmothers or whatever. Um, That's right. right. The, yeah. The, the aunties. The yeah. fairy aunties right. are this, have this really good relationship with Aurora. A tenuous but kind of functional relationship with Maleficent. Yeah. And again, all of these relationships get thrown out the window in this movie mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, we need to have the dark fae backstory. Right. I mean, the only time you really see Maleficent uh, remembering how much she loves Aurora is when she takes the arrow for Aurora. Yes. And then when she comes back as the phoenix and sees Aurora and is like, oh, right, don't kill that one. <laughs> Maybe the other the other white lady is cool. But yeah. The, yeah. Aurora good. That one bad. Ingrid's bad. Cool, cool, cool. Right. Yeah. I find that I found that very uh, captivating. Yeah. Those moments. Yeah, I did, too. And I was also thinking about in that moment how well the actress who plays Aurora just emoted those emotions like you could just really see it she it lingers on her face as she's looking at this phoenix yes and how she's going through these different emotions of shock and awe and then love and adoration and then it just shines through on her face like pure love and that's when the phoenix as maleficent uh really gets it and accepts that like I have a connection to this person, you know? Right, and then Ingrid sees it and uses it, tosses Aurora off the castle. Maleficent Maleficent pops down to grab her. Yeah. Um, And that, yeah, that was the, I think that was the only time they brought it back around to that relationship. And I rewatched the moment when she wakes her in the first movie and she says, I was so lost. 
Right. And, you know, then kisses her on the forehead and she, like, you know, when Aurora wakes up and she's like, oh, hello, mother. Like, hello, godmother. And she alternates between calling her mother and godmother yes. too. Oh, yeah. is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking back at that scene that you just mentioned, when they're up on top of that tower and the phoenix is looking at Aurora and you say Aurora is making expressions of love, I didn't notice because I was so full of hate. <laughs> I wanted to see Ingrid uh, die, right? That's what I've just been waiting for. Yeah. And I, Jack, was, this is an emotional roller coaster for Jack when we were is, watching. Yeah. This is why I want to get into the values that this movie is trying to push. The oh, moral right. of the story. Right. And I'm saying it cannot be love. Because I wanted to see so many characters in this film suffer a fate worse than death. (laughs) Yeah. You can't tell me to love the characters when you want me to hate them for so much of the film. 90% of the movie is watch this character be evil so they can suffer, right? I'm like, don't tell me to love. You make me hate. Yeah, the rehabilitation of Lickspittle at the end for creating the genocide weapons. And it's like, oh, you're one of us, though. It's cool. Like, no, no fucking do, way. Do you know what happened to the creators of Sarin Gas? Yeah. Do you fucking know? No. Oh, God. Was it bad? It was bad. I imagine. Okay. I literally mad. said while we were watching it, Lick's fiddle is happy there are no Nuremberg trials <laughs> in this world. Right. Dude, yeah. when she like uncovers that he was a pixie, I'm just like, no wonder he was wearing the fucking breathing mask when he had the yes. respirator yeah. on. Yeah. So like the imagery's strong. Oh yeah. But the fact that they rehabilitate him at the end is haunting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good call. Just with no consequences whatsoever. It's just the uh, what the messages of this film. I'm, I'm so confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't get the point. Because if it's pushing peace, the entire thing was pushing for war. Yeah. And the war ends when the characters we're made to hate are tormented. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or yeah. forgiven, I guess. Or turned into goats. Or, and a lot of the good people are killed as a result. Yeah. And, I, I don't understand. <laughs> They're sacrificing themselves for those they love. Again, I don't like that message, even though, like Mickey is pointing out, you know, there is historical um, context for that. Mm. And it's something I didn't appreciate the first time around. And you're helping me to consider that now and appreciate that now. And that that is something that people do. Um, And in this context, it makes more sense than in the first movie. Because it's literal war and genocide. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that's when I would expect people to make sacrifices for the ones they love, you know, when there's crisis going on. That makes more sense to me. Yeah, but the martyrdom we see in the movie, at least with Connell, it doesn't prevent the war. No, not Not at all. all. If anything, it drives Maleficent to go and finish the war. Correct. That's true. She's like, ah, this man who loved peace has sacrificed himself. Let me go finish the dark work of my race. (laughs) She's got the green plus orange. Yeah. And she is a person possessed. I mean, she's got this tunnel vision going towards Ingrith. And only when she sees Aurora is she even a little bit knocked out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
she wants to just murder all of the humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She thinks they're trying to eliminate her and her entire fey race. Also, she's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing is, I wanted her to succeed. (laughs) Me too. I would have been totally fine if all the humans got wiped out at the end of this movie. I mean, at, at, least all, at least all of the aggressors. Well, yeah, I mean, all the ones who were like, yeah, I, I wanted the fairies to win. Yeah. By the end, there were good humans that you felt good about being in charge again, I think. Philip, John, the captain of the guard at the end became a peaceful dude. Yeah, but he had just been literally murdering Dark Fae and like pulling the trigger, basically. Uh, well, it's 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 complicated, is my. Point. There's the scene where he said he was just following orders. You might recall <laughs> that he literally. Yes, I, I do I, I remember some people that have heard that, that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but by the end, I don't want all the humans to die. But for again, ninety nine percent of the movie, I I want everyone barren earth. <laughs> <laughs> At the end, it's just Maleficent standing above the corpses of all her family, her friends, and her enemies saying, I am become death. And then just doing a dance <laughs> to a tune. <laughs> yes. I mean, she's basically the Morrigan, yeah, right? No, like, she is. Yeah. She's kind of the chooser of the slain in a, in a deep way. Yeah. She and- just flashed out a wing and everybody's like poof we're dead the imagery that she's kind of built off of is very morgan-esque seriously i thought she was gonna just be the phoenix from then on and be like this kind of god-like creature that would kind of look over out for the moors and kind of just be its protector Mm. i didn't think that she was going to be able to turn back into yeah, herself. Yeah, I didn't think she would remember how to be Maleficent. I mm. thought she was going to stay the Phoenix for a bit there, too. For sure. I thought for she sure. was being reborn as the Phoenix mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's still sad because Maleficent is gone and we have a new protector in her place that is kind of like part of her but not the same person anymore. It's like that sad and moment when Gandalf the Grey comes back and then he just gets <laughs> replaced with this completely different character. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's kind of like, so sad. oh, it's a kid's movie, so it's like, oh, it's sad that she died, but she's still here. She's not really gone. They did the same thing with the Blue Fairy. Mm-hmm. Yes, They're, they did. When the wedding is going on at the very end, the wedding is actually happening and all the fairy folk are actually there. And the other two fairies, the green and pink one, they're sitting next to the blue flower that is their friend. <laughs> Which is very morbid. It still has some kind of sentience. It changes Aurora's dress to blue. Yeah, after they and, argue. Yeah. Green, about, pink. Like in the first movie. But it's like, she. there's still some part of her there too and they are like, oh, that you're right. They name her. I forget her name. Flittle. Oh. And they're like, you're right, Flittle. That's the best color. Because they are like, happy to have some part of their friend there. But it's also like, a cop-out. They're not mm-hmm. letting you feel the emotions that they're trying to engender. You're, they don't give you the space to feel the emotions about things that are happening to characters in the movie. They try to rip it away from you. This is a really important point, right? Because they, they Disneyify the death shit. Mm-hmm. But we have deeply lost our tree fairy friends, right? Yeah. Like, we, like there's mm-hmm. a deep amount of real loss that they just are just like, no, you're fine. There's one or two of them that are still alive. You know? Yeah. And they don't 
like cover that at all. Anybody's mm-hmm. reactions except for in the moment. Right? No, they don't actually address the real trauma of war. They're just like wedding time. And I think it's something that like you're. Sh- it's it's magic. It's fake creatures. Like I think it's conversations that parents can have with their kids sure. about death and mm-hmm. trauma in a safe way. And they take away your ability to experience that. Yeah, but going from a battlefield directly to a wedding field is a drastic contrast. It's that fucking is jarring. wild, dude. I I feel like the ending I was expecting was Aurora going back to the moors and she and Philip like just dealing with PTSD. Yeah, yeah she seriously. and Philip saying like I love you, but I need to see to my people right now, and yeah. like. Yeah. There's still a connection there, and they still love each other. Like, maybe they, they like, it's obvious they intend to still maybe marry later, but, like, right now we need to heal. And, like, there's none of that. They don't give you space for that either. No. Literally, the pacing is gray filter over the, over the entire film. It's dark. It's oppressive, right? This battle. It ends... And then it's super saturated colors. Yes. And yeah. everyone claps and they smile and they're like, wedding time. And then Dark Fae and humans are looking at each other like, yeah, we're going to fuck. They're literally clearing the corpses from the battlefield as the caterers are coming in oh with the wedding cake. That is the transition we get. Plus, dude, high five. Dark Fae and some humans gonna ball. Oh, we were all yeah. excited about it. Yeah, that. we were. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, oh, look at them looking at each other. Yep. <laughs> and making sure they keep those races intact. Oh, oh yeah, that part no I know. interracial. Oh, that's true. That's it's exactly what they did. I noticed that. That's exactly what they did in fucking yeah. uh, The Last Star Wars, too. Oh, I <laughs> Yeah, um, so... The movie's got some off-putting themes and some disjointed aspects. Yeah, and they did a, they did a little. I mean, there are like two rehashes that I feel happened. Like one of them is like they rehashed Frozen Frozen Two's engagement <laughs> bullshit, and then um, they rehashed Moana's. You know, remember who you are? Thing. Yes. I was just okay. kind of like, oh yeah, you know who you are. Remember yeah, yeah, who you yeah. are. And I was just like. Hmm. Yeah, the formulaic yeah. thing. I mean, we're hardly the first people to point this out with Disney oh, movies, gosh, but right? it bears repeating <laughs> when everything in Disney movies also apparently bears repeating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but so, okay. I just want to ask this question, especially to you, Mickey, mm-hmm. because you brought this to our attention, but to yeah. everybody. We're talking about how the movie uses this imagery that is very reminiscent of real world trauma and genocide. This is going to sound weird. Does the movie earn it or does it feel very ghoulish or how do you, how does it feel using these imageries, using these horrendous scenes like the church genocide? Yeah. The church gas chamber. Like it's fucked up stuff. But when you come away from it, how does it, you know, feel in the end? Oh man. You know, I mean, the thing is, like my ancestors were told, here's this soap, you're gonna go have a shower now. I feel as though it's entirely uncalled for. Unless you're an actual Holocaust film, you should not be thrown in a gas chamber. No thank you. You know? No thank you, Disney. Another aspect another like angle you could look at this is like 
uh, why does the kids movie need the totalitarian <laughs> genocidal racist uh, yeah. <laughs> regime in the first place? Just looking at the foundation of the film, I feel like there is like a Nazi in the writing room, just like, oh, well, I know how this movie should go. <laughs> Wearing a hat that just says not a Nazi on it. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, this guy's smart. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I, I would actually think it's the other direction, though, where it's like using the coding of this being so bad is maybe not the worst thing to continually emphasize which uh, side of history is the wrong side of history. Oh, that makes sense. And the methods that certain historical groups have used were bad, and we need to remind people that they were bad, unfortunately, it seems yeah, like. I mean, there yeah. is, a, re- there I mean, is a resurgence g- of Nazis in this country. Yep. This is the subtle allusion that I'm making, yes. <laughs> and also, uh, you know, uh, revoltingly, um, like, large amount of Holocaust deniers. Yes. Even oh. just recently, yeah. we, yes. to school, wanting to show the other side of oh the Holocaust. God. Yes. Doesn't it's- fucking exist, everybody. Yeah. Okay. Exactly the point. I was gonna bring up other side, dude. Uh, yeah, seriously, it's like whoa. When people don't trust history and they just want to revise it to fit their own worldview, and people are living in these bubbles like this, maybe we do need stories like, but it's just like this. But it's just that maybe it's not handled in the right way or sure. a sensitive enough way. I mean, I don't know how to show that. I, I wouldn't know either. I wouldn't either. I mean, this just feels like a step above or a step beyond, like, you know, the most iconic villains of, like, movie history, like Darth Vader and the actual group called Stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, use that imagery. Like, say, these people bad. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe that's a way that it's been done better. But, like, kids movie with allusions to the gas chambers? Right. Maybe a little a bridge too far? fucking traumatic, dude. Mm. Another thing? Yeah, exactly. Star Wars was fun. People enjoyed that. And they're like, wow, those guys are bad. Again, I wanted the entire world scorched in this movie. But, you know, bringing that back to an interesting point, though, is the way that the First Order nowadays is like, oh, but maybe we're going to have, like, First Order rallies at Disneyland that you can participate in. And it's like, I don't know if that's a good look like we have to it seems that we constantly have to remind people which side is the bad side in movies and also in history and in reality and that sucks true and really disconcerting and and terrible this movie is buck wild (laughs) I'm, I'm on the fence where I'm like we kind of do need to keep reminding people who's bad. And it's yeah, yeah, so yeah. I mean, like, it's unfortunately true. It's an you important know? thing to mention. <clears throat> yeah. And it, it's like we've spent so many years being like, well, yeah, of course everyone knows Nazis bad. And then all these Nazis are like, Nazis were the good guys, right? So messed up. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. You're, yep it's valid. It's a valid point. It's, it was a good one to bring up. That's a tough one. But the South will rise <laughs> Fuck you! Yep. All, all of the above. All right, guys, we've said a lot about this movie already. I think we can probably head into the smithy now.
Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Mickey, as our guest, would you like to be the first one to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating between one and ten iron bolts? All right. So um, it's a moment that you've shared before, but when they're walking across the bridge. Yes. And they get to the other side and Maleficent is like, pitchforks humans are hilarious and then she smiles at children and they run away screaming oh my god that is my favorite favorite little bit of the film so fun classic all the smiling stuff i love oh yeah that's just so good and the various different like ranges of smiley fang face yeah so cute yeah it's great um, yeah, so that's about my favorite bit. And then, uh, rating-wise, oh boy, this film. Um, I think you'll recall that I gave Maleficent one 20 wings, whatever it was. Nice. All the wings. Unfortunately, uh, does not merit kind of any of the wings. Oh no. Oh, it's not great. So, annihilation. I know, right? Total annihilation. Um, yeah, and I mean, I am like wavering between like kind of a six and a seven, you know? Okay, so we're okay. gonna say like maybe six and a half iron bolts there. Okay, I thought you were going to say zero. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I'm never that like disapproving. I can't, I don't know, I can't I can't be mean about shit. (laughs) There's there's still stuff to love here. Yeah, I mean I I loved many things, just none of the Holocaust things. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You know what I'm saying. We didn't love the Holocaust. No. We're at Swords and Satire. No. Official stance, it was bad. Yes. Also, official stance, Nazis are terrible. Yes. Official. Officially. Excellent. And when Jamie was trying to be subtle about that before, me being me, I was just like, blunt force. Chelsea does not cotton to subtlety. (laughs) Not usually. I've been known to be subtle. (laughs) I don't know when. Yeah, I've never seen that. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of not subtle, I'd love to know your epic feature and your rating. I want to. I want to know. Out of one to ten, iron bolts. That's right. Yes, we're talking about crossbow bolts here. Just to thank you, Mickey. I will say mine. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna. I'm gonna be out of job here before too long. My epic feature is Pinto. Oh my god. Um, Controversial choice, Chelsea. I usually don't like these little cutesy characters that This are... is a lie because I'm literally looking at Chelsea's stuffed porg right now. <laughs> but the, I don't know. It's like, it's just that in the first, uh, out of the 1,000 movies of The Hobbit, um, where they one thousand was too many. Nine hundred ninety nine was okay. It's kind of like equating it to where they have the barrels just bouncing along the river oh, uh. and off of the side river banks, and I'm like, what is actually happening? No, I'm experiencing trauma. Barrel rider. <laughs> and this is what Pinto was doing along the river with the crown. And I'm like, what is actually happening? Yes. I hated that whole scene. <laughs> it was mind-breaking. Sheer mind-breaking. Then Chelsea experienced Stockholm Syndrome. I think that's what I'm really getting at that I hate. That kind of cutesy, like, stumbling along shit. And I'm like, why is any of it? But then 
I love Pinto. <laughs> Pinto is so cute. I love the like I said the trapping way they speak, and um, they're mischievous yet helpful. I I was like it me. <laughs> I identified right. with Pinto, I think. And they were protective of their other fae folk. Like I was like, I I, I am Pinto. I think I should have said in the beginning <laughs> nice. that I'm Pinto. Alright. <laughs> I'm a hedgehog fairy. That's awesome. Um, I buy it. I just I really loved Pinto. <laughs> they were very cute also. I, I thought the art was great for them. Yeah. Actually the art in this whole movie is really beautiful. And the costumes were really great. Those were some of the best features of the whole film. The set design for the cave was really cool, yeah. if impossible. Mm -hmm. But it is magic, so whatever. Chelsea, you just don't understand how birds nest. <laughs> no, the cave part. Cave home. But oh, anyway, oh. yeah, for all of the like traumatic parts of the movie, I'm going to have to give it, I'll say a five. So I was kind of teetering between four and six, so I'll just cut it down the middle. All right. Mm -hmm. And so all of the problematic, traumatic aspects, I'm like, you lose a bunch of points there. Mm. Also, like we were saying, this the writing in this one wasn't as strong as in the first movie. Mm -hmm. And it's actually kind of jumbled together in a disjointed way. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, five out of ten iron bolts. That's fair. For me. All right, Jack, how about you? What's your epic moment or feature? And then your rating from 1 to 10, Iron Bolts. I suppose my epic feature has got to be Maleficent. I think I'm going to settle on her devastating power. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to praise about the character Maleficent in Agreed. general. Yeah. Like, we, we've we just been raving about her the whole time. She is so charismatic. Style icon. Style icon. Yeah, really great. seriously. A lot of the Dark Fae were really cool. Those characters sort of caught my attention in a lot of ways. I but wanted to know more about them, but it should have been a different movie. It should have been, yeah. You're right about that. Maleficent, Queen of the Fae. Yeah. Oh. But Maleficent, uh, when w she came to the other Dark Fae, I was like, oh no, I thought she was this like Arch Fae, this greater fairy yeah. that was like protector of the forest. But there's more like her, oh no. I mean, like, it's cool. I thought it was neat. And I'm like, oh, they're sort of subtracting from her strength. And then the other Dark Fae are like, Jesus, she's stronger than all of us. I'm like, okay, it's cool stuff. <laughs> it's cool. And then uh, she gets her phoenix transformation. It reminded me a little bit of the original Sleeping Beauty when she is able to turn into a dragon. The phoenix is very dragon-like in its design. And uh, mm -hmm. Diaval got the dragon form in the retelling. So it was cool for her to get a transformation again. I just loved in the in the combat scenes, her flying around, exploding stone towers. She was just... Very cool to see, making the bridges, just her displays of power were awesome. And just real quick, I wanted to highlight her transformation is kind of like her love for her people and her daughter kind of transforms her. Yeah, it's cool. You could read that in it anyway. It's true. Also, it's black and she's goth. It's so valid. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I love it. 
And uh, and when it comes to a rating for this film, this is difficult for me. (laughs) I know. This movie was really entertaining. I was on the edge of my seat for most of the film. Yeah. And I was so frustrated the whole film. (laughs) I was fluctuating like crazy scene to scene. I'm like... This is getting a good rating. This is getting a terrible rating, right? Jack was narrating his fluctuating rating while we were watching the movie, and it was great. (laughs) It was just depending on how much screen time Maleficent had. (laughs) And it's just, you know, I like to to think I try to be an ethical person, someone with good morals, and this movie... Made me the opposite, <laughs> at least for the duration of the watch. I was like, Maleficent, burn them. <laughs> and uh, that fucked with me a little bit. <laughs> brought out your dark side. Brought out the dark. And uh, I didn't want that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this movie four iron bolts. Okay, wow. Because it was tormenting. I was tormented by this film. I'm going to see it again at least once. <laughs> and I'm not upset about that either. It hurt You'll me. revel in that darkness. It hurt me to watch. I look forward to seeing it again. Which is an interesting thing for a movie to do. We say it every week here at Swords of Satire. There is a fine line between pain and pleasure. And the line is so blurry. But what about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment and or feature and rating out of 10 iron bolts? Well, I'm glad you asked. My epic moment is right after King John gets put under the magical uh, whammy. And he's in bed and everyone's freaking out. And Prince Philip is like, wait, I know exactly what to do. True love's kiss. Mother... If you kiss him, he'll probably wake up. Oh, that was so sad. <laughs> and yeah. Ingrid, like, just, we've already established Ingrid is terrible. And she's just like, how do I tell my son that I do not love him or his father? Maybe, I don't know, maybe she loves Philip, I don't know. But she, mm. just the look on her face is like, I don't think that, that's just the fairy tale. And it's like, no, we know it is established truth in this universe that true love's kiss will wake somebody up. She knows that it is not her. And I thought that was fucking brilliant. Was oh my also, God. though. I felt so sad for Philip in that movie. I felt bad for Philip and John because we've established John and Philip are nice guys. Yeah. Ingrid is the terrible one. So this isn't the thing where it's like, oh, like your father's secretly like a jerk or something. No, she's saying I'm secretly the jerk. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that was great. So I got a kick out of that. That whole like, uh, you know, inversion of the fairy tale trope was great. I agree that this is a really hard movie to rate. But God damn it, I just love Maleficent as a character so much. I am also going to give it a 7 out of 10 oh. Iron Bolts. Nice. It has got some deep problems. It has got a lot of choices in it that I would not have made personally were I writing. Disney, call me. But the character just carries it. I really like her relationship with Aurora when we get a bit of it. I like her relationship with Diavol, the character design... The moments like her trying to learn how to smile like a human are just so charming to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I don't want to praise it too much for all of its deep flaws, but I think for as much enjoyment as I got out of it, a seven is a good rating. Yeah. 
That's my highest and final offer. Might be more than it deserves, but it's what you're given. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And that'll pretty much do it for us here at Swords and Satire. We'd love to thank our good friend Mickey for coming on, for suggesting this movie. And Yay. for having so much great stuff to talk about, uh, my pleasure, the film guys. Went. Absolutely, yeah. just enjoy. Great yes, stuff. Yes, this was a lot of fun. I was so excited. Me too. I man. enjoyed it. Yeah. we have to do this more. Oh yeah, yeah, delightful. <laughs> Maleficent three. It's in. It's in production. All right, yeah. nice. It's gonna happen. And if you want to be super cool like Mickey too, once again, you can go to patreon.com slash swords and satire and help support the show. Keep the torches lit here at Castle Satire and get lots of fun bonus episodes and other awesome perks of being a patron. That's true. And you could follow us on social media at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. There are memes, people. Awesome memes. I believe they call it memeage. <laughs> memeage. Yes. Jamie writes them all. He's he's awesome at it. They're so funny. I they get a really kick great. out of it. Oh, stop. Every Go, time. On. Go on. I love it. <laughs> Even though I get to see him making them, I still love seeing them on Instagram again. Totally. <laughs> and and BT dubs. Like, uh, you're rewriting history and then the, you know, the one for Enchanted, like Enchanted 2 Re-Enchanted. Yes! <laughs> That one was fabulous. Oh, BT thank Dubs you. super loved it. So, like, the extra, oh. the bonus content, absolutely worth it. Nice. Oh, sweet. I'm glad nice. to hear it. Yay! <laughs> and you know what? They're also writing an official sequel to Enchanted. So, you know, I feel like it's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call me Disney. Yeah. Joe Disney should just ring me up. But if you don't have a few extra coins to slide over to your favorite podcasters, Why not go up to the two big megaphones you have on top of your home and announce uh, to the whole world what your favorite podcast is, Swords and Satire. Wow. Yeah. Then everyone will start listening and you can talk with all your loved ones about your favorite movies and maybe watch them together. Sounds like a great idea. Well then, until next time, Hail Hail Crom. Crom!